I think we've learned since podcasting really began to kick in that there is there is like this primal thing going on with the single voice in your ear. Um, whether it's so, so all these these hard podcasts that that crop up, uh, people just love, and I am no different. I love having that one voice uh, with very few distractions telling the story. And uh, I get so many emails from people saying, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but I tend to just use your podcast to fall asleep. Um, I think I think that's that's terrific because I know exactly what they're talking about. Even going back, and I, I tell people that, um, you know, when I was a kid, my father would take me to baseball games and driving home late at night, he would put on uh, like the post-game show. And back then it was just, just one dude talking for 20 minutes about nothing. And I, I, I think like a trace memory of that followed me all my life, just that soothing single voice. Uh, but it's almost like you have this this person inside your head speaking directly to you and horror lends itself to this very calm uh, eerie kind of thing going on Welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lee. Soren Narnia is a bit of a mystery. Not just because as an author and podcaster, he keeps his personal life completely tucked away, but also because there's an enigmatic quality to him as a writer and voiceover performer that makes him so incredibly compelling to listen to. In fact, Soren's beloved podcast, Knife Point Horror, was the reason I fell in love with the podcast medium to begin with. On Knife Point, Soren writes and performs all his stories, almost all told by a single voice from a first-person perspective. There's a stripped-down simplicity to the presentation of his stories that works beautifully, even though the stories themselves are often far from simple. There's a campfire tarot quality to Soren's writing and storytelling that elicits a reaction in the listener that reminds us of the great storytellers of our formative years. That and that Soren is a writer whose stories are often just plain scary. They crawl into your head and have you thinking about them for days, the way that most great horror stories do. Soren also has a wickedly dry and droll sense of humor and has you on the edge of your seat one moment, laughing out loud the next. We talk about why he allows people to use his stories without having to pay him anything, his love of 70s filmmaking, and even do a bit of role-playing. We're also joined by another star of the narrative horror podcast world, my trusty supervising producer, Jason Hill. So, grab yourself a slice of pie and let's get a glimpse into the wild and wicked mind of Soren Narnia. Hi, Soren. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate having you on here. We're we're all fans, so it's great to have you here. Joining us also uh, today is Mr. Jason Hill. How are you, Jason? I'm doing good, Kevin. Good to be here. How did you guys sort of become aware of, of each other's work and, and of, 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 the t of your shows? I reached out to Soren first about a um, story that he did called Army that I'm still very fond of. I actually did a, I redid it on um, 
Horror Hill not that long ago because, um, you know, it being literally the second story I ever recorded, I wasn't super happy with what how it originally came out. And um, he just was showing up on so many top 10 lists. And uh, I decided to check it out. It became my favorite horror podcast immediately. And I kind of stopped listening to most others. Yeah, that was kind of an easy call because, you know, Jason, I heard a clip and it was like, oh, I only need about seven seconds of hearing Jason. Yep, that's <laughs> what do you want to do, Jason? Just pick your story. Yeah, it was that was an easy one. Horror podcasting and true crime have both become these two genres in, in, in podcasting that are that are, you know, really prevalent. And, you know, there's almost at times sort of a crossover, I think, in the audience of the two. Why do you think that those two particular genres in the podcasting world have just continued to ramp up and up where other sort of different types of podcasts have come and gone and faded in and out. Those two have just continued to grow and develop. You know, true crime exploded uh, when you know, the 24 seven news cycle, the internet, because all these things depict a world where the, the absolute worst thing imaginable can happen and is happening constantly around us. So we just like, we're living in this constant state of true crime awareness because we just can't turn anything on without them insisting that, oh yeah, it's, it's coming closer. As with the, even horror, you know, the, the sense that this is what happened to somebody else and now, and you are safe. It happened to you. So it just, again, it reaffirms that you made it, you survived the rest of the world's good. You, but you're, you're still good, dude. I, there's something that that's kind of primal. And I think it does appeal to us. True crime. There's kind of an academic appeal to it and sort of a journalistic appeal that you're staying abreast of current events that horror doesn't quite have. May I explain why it's overtaken it. I think the true crime resurgence um, uh, has, yeah, I wonder, has something to do with, with the fact that we're just deluged with horrors like it just 24 seven. Yeah. And we have to, we have to react to it. We have to make sense of it. We, we have to, cause you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm so guilty of watching such, such dreck when it comes to true crime. I keep swearing off <laughs> it. Well, I love the ones where there's a genuine mystery that no one's figured out. Like what happened here? I do get, but you know, I was there the other day watching worst roommate ever on Netflix and feeling terrible about myself. I, it's, I'm, I can't stop. <laughs> do you ever get a story where you're like, I don't think this works as well as a podcast story or as an audio story, there's something, this might work as a red piece of fiction, but this won't really work as an audio piece. And what sort of dictates what works and what doesn't in that, in that sense? Uh, well, for, for me, like, yeah, there's sometimes I'll come up with something and I just like, if I try to boil this down to one character's perspective, I'm going to, I'm going to leave out too much stuff. So it just doesn't work. Uh, now when, when someone, write something and they ask me to narrate it. That to me is, is, is a lot of fun because to me, it all works. There's no, nothing because it's up to me to like, make it, make it work. Even if, even if uh, maybe should have been uh, more of a straight fiction piece. Uh, but I think uh, the, the more it plays into the single voice, the single like first person, the first person is, is the key. That's what makes it really like, okay, you can work with this there's something like when it gets to even third person it becomes trickier it really does there's always parts in third person stories like ah oh, how am i going to do this and you prefer third person don't you jason i um prefer kind of a synthesis of the two the ones where it's third person but it's largely focused on a single a single character i like to be able to recede into the narration voice i don't i don't like being locked into one single expressive affectation 
But yeah, if it gives me like, like if I can really get inside the head of a character from a third person perspective without actually speaking through their mouth, that seems to give me more freedom to, uh, you know, ham it up and do what I do. When there's a narrator, you know, you have that kind of thing where this is this isn't a character. This is this is someone who's part of the fabric of the story. Do you you enjoy doing that kind of narration? Generally, I do. And it depends, of course, with Soren's stories. I, I, I particularly like that they're first person, um, but that's not universal by any means. His stories always seem to me like I can kind of see it in my head, like a, a journal with, a blood, with blood stains on it, lying on a table with police lights kind of coming in through the windows and somebody coming over and kind of picking it up and looking at it. Like, it's like it feels it's not like... blood. It's just cherry pie filling. Yeah. So, you know. yeah. <laughs> There's this yeah. journalistic quality to it that I really enjoy. Um, like it really happened. And uh, he communicates that better than I think anybody else I work with. You guys is, have very different shows, I think. So on yours, as you said, is is sort of, you know, it's a first person narrative. It's generally pretty stripped down. Uh, Jason, you don't have a lot of that stuff in your stuff either, because again, it's still just your voice. But there is a very different quality because you're doing sort of a, a character that is the Jason Hill character when you introduce your show, you know, it's not you at any point, even though you're saying your own name or whatever, there's a, there's a, a, a sense of performance to that. And then you play multiple characters. Whereas Soren in, on your show, you generally are playing one character who's relating a tale. Uh, I never, yeah, I, I never had uh, like any kind of persona introduced because, you know, you can hear from talking to me that it's, I don't know exactly exude the gravitas. So, uh, <laughs> I think it's best that I just try to disappear a little bit into into the, the first into the characters and not say anything on the podcast because I will break. I have a tendency to break the tension if I open my mouth. I frequently struggle with the host segments. Actually, I'm still not convinced that they're a good idea to this day. <laughs> Especially when I really, yeah. Um, sometimes I think it might be it might have been better if to start because now they're expected, and you know I've I've made them my own enough. But uh, yeah, when it started out, I was I was kind of um, I was under a little bit of pressure from previous models on the network I'm on to uh, do more of a character voice to introduce the stories. And as time went on, I really toned it down until I found a synthesis of something I liked that is pretty much miles away. Especially I was listening to the old ones, um, old stories um, of Sorens that I did, and um, the host segments on that are like, wow, it did not sound anything like that anymore. Um, so I'm pretty happy with where it's ended up. What, what was the, what did the early iteration sound like? It sounded like this. Welcome to the horror hill. Maybe even deeper than that. I don't know that I can do it anymore. And what did, and what is it now? Now it's just kind of like this. It's a little bit lighter and I can talk faster. And sometimes I make jokes and, uh, it's generally supposed to be funny. The host segments are funny now. They're not creepy anymore at all. Except now and again, but now it sounds stupid when they're creepy because they're the rest of them are funny. <laughs> but I feel like um, you know people they have this uh, this image of you now in their mind based on uh, the two different experiences, the story and then the, uh, the kind of the intro. Yeah, that's more or less what I'm going for with when I with lightening the tone instead of just this shadowy crypt keepery thing. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you said that. That that illustrates it better than how I was explaining it. Um, that is that is exactly the goal. Um, 
And uh, I think I've achieved it with uh, moderate success. There are, there are one or two in the last three seasons where I do, for some reason, do it spooky. And uh, the comment sections on those are rather amusing. Soren, people know you from your work on Knife Point Horror, of course. Uh, but if you do a, not very much of a deep dive and see some of your other videos and stuff like that, the guy that can do these extremely terrifying tales, there's a study that's very silly and whimsical. And But I was curious because I, when I emailed you and asked for your bio, your bio contained, he also creates scary and comical shorts for YouTube, but is always willing to abandon any creative pursuits if there's a sport to be watched, pie to be eaten, or a board game that needs a loser. Do, do you have pie? If I had pie, I'd be fucking eating it right now. I can tell you that. I love pie. Jason, I were talking about that, about like pie people versus cake people. Yeah, one day there'll be a war in the streets and it's not going to be pretty. It's not just going to, it'll be called the, the Great Confection War. Yeah. <laughs> but even I don't really know which side of the aisle I'm willing to stand on firmly to this day. It's like, this is what I think about when I go to sleep. I'm like, God, which, if I had to pick just one, you know how a lot of people, uh, at least once a year, you have the discussion with your friends about the last meal before you're executed, which is just, you know, that could be a podcast in itself, frankly. But I, the pie cake thing, I, I have inner debates a lot, a lot. Where are you at today? Today, actually, having most recently had a piece of cake and, you know, being sated by that, it was Mississippi mud with marshmallows, chocolate frosting. Um, now I'm swinging back in the other direction. But, you know, who knows? Who knows what tomorrow will bring? That's part of the fun of life, right? You never know whether you're going to wake up thinking cake or pie. It's just, it can go either way. If I could teach the kids anything, it's that. Do you remember a particular uh, scary story as a child that really, you know, freaked you out, like got under your skin or gave you nightmares or anything like that? They would show like the afternoon movie when I was growing up. Um, and once a year, they would have a week of horror stories and it was always the same ones i remember vividly vincent price and the fall of the house of usher and i was you know i was just a just a little kid but uh the images in that really um really took and then uh someone else i forget who it was uh read to me the cask of amontillado by poe i got to the end of that and i said what he did what to that guy did i hear you correctly did he wall that guy up and just walk away? And I was done. I was like, yep, yeah, this is this is going to be one of my genres of choice for the rest of my life. Because <laughs> if things can go south that fast in a five-page short story, I, I'm 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 intrigued. And did you get into horror films as a, as a kid as well, or did that come later? That came mostly later. Uh, during the phase when you ran out and just rented every horror movie that they had at Blockbuster. It's like, okay, I, I got a card and I'm going to just tear through the aisle and just hit everything. Um, it was more 14 or 15, I think, that I actually started watching movies seriously. But before then, of course, there was the uh, accidental viewing of The Exorcist late at night, all alone, and being so wigged out that I walked out like eight minutes in because just the tone was like nothing I'd seen before. I said, I can't, I can't deal with this. So maybe uh, that was probably the first one that I really remember hitting me very hard. It's so interesting to me that like, I've, I've talked to a lot of 
people in all different facets of of the horror genre, whether they're writers, directors, producers, whatever it is. The Exorcist is always everybody's story of the first film that really fucked them up. <laughs> like that, right. that, like it's always The Exorcist, like without right. fail. It's, yeah, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible if you think about that, right? I mean, there's in, in in popular culture, there's so few sort of touchstones that are are kind of the same for everyone when they look at their childhood as being, you know, this was the my favorite comedy. But, but I, I swear, it's almost always The Exorcist for people. There's something about the '70s, man. Something about the '70s. There were there were these uh, touchstone movies that seemed to transcend time. Like, for instance. Jaws. Is there a better movie in that uh, genre than Jaws? Has anyone topped it, or even like even The Godfather? Has there actually been a better movies about gangsters than Godfather and Godfather Two? It's uh, something about that time period. They did it right. What's the genesis of of Knife Point Horror? How did it come to How did it come to be? I really think uh, it was laziness. Uh, I did not want to go through the tedium of the submissions process. Uh, I, you know, I tried that when I was younger, I found it, uh, it just, it's just depressing. It's a depressing process. Every part of it was, was irritating and expensive. Me for publishing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, right place at the right time. Here came this thing called podcasting, which I looked into. I'm like, what's, what's the deal? And I, I began to suspect that if I just said some words into a recorder and clicked upload, then I would be done and I would win because I was done and I could move on to the next story. And I, I, I didn't have to think about that story anymore. It wasn't caught in a, you know, perpetual nothingness zone, like with, with traditional submissions. Would you say you started this show for you? Well, I was always trying to think, uh, you know, trying to think my way around the obstacles to try to get an audience. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I thought actually that horror stories might be the most likely way to to do it to to test this little thing out. Uh, you know, I had a bunch of other stories I could have gone with, but I thought, you know, I have I have a bunch of horror stories. Let me let me read those, just test the waters, and see if this thing actually works, and see. You know, I was I didn't know anything about it then, even if I didn't know how much it costs or or what software I have to, have to download. I knew absolutely nothing. So pure pure chance, timing, luck, uh, got me into it. If 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 that hadn't come along, eh, well, I'd probably still be here in Richmond, Virginia. Still, you know, who knows? But uh, I think things would have turned out pretty different. Did you find when you started the show that you had sort of a, uh, you know, a concept early on of of the kind of stories you wanted to tell, you know, you through knife point or, or, or was it just kind of, you know, you just let's throw, throw a bunch of stuff at it and see what sticks. Now, I did have this conception of this vague nebulous concept called, which I thought of as knife point horror, because the idea back then, I guess 11 or 12 years ago was that I would write stories like what you described, trimming away the fats, trimming away everything, but, the scare, not attempting to do anything but focus on that one um, vibe, that one moment that would kind of, you know, knife goes in, uh, episode ends. Uh, because I had kind of gotten tired myself of, you know, how many movies or, or stories do you listen to? Or just, eh, there's, they needed about 60% more story here. Um, 
So I thought, why don't I, why don't I try to define what this would be? I actually wrote down, you know, 12 or 13 little rules for myself about what knife point horror would be, because I thought I needed to be, I, I always wanted to be, you know, try to be different in some way. Now, of course, what's happened over the years is that is that has changed as I have changed and what I want out of writing is, has changed. But originally that was, that was the deal. And that's why it came. Uh, that's why the title knife point horror uh, happened. But uh, within, um, within about six or seven years, I, I started to uh, want to do something, start to want to write hard in slightly different ways than I had been doing. And that's, that's what you see with that podcast. Right. And one of the things, you know, I noticed about Knife Point when I first started tuning into the show was that, uh, and it's changed a little over time, as you said, but, but at the time, the titles were always a single word. What was the, what was the reason for, for single word titles? Was it again, just that simplicity? Exactly. Strip it all so down. I, keep, I, yeah. the, the idea being, you know, what, what would a story like this, if you were in a bar with someone sitting next to them and they just started talking they would give you their name. Yeah, my name is Jake. And they would just, here's what happened to me. And there would be no title. And in fact, a title would just get in the way. So, well, about as minimalist as I can take that is one word, very generic, lowercase the sucker to kind of tell people, look, this, I, I didn't, I didn't want a title. Um, if I had any real guts. It's, would, only so you, it's only so you can find it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I just wasn't clever enough to to figure out a way where you could still find or even refer to it. And the problem is, of course, even I for, have forgotten the titles of many of these stories. And everyone I talk to, they're like, you know, what was the one where the guy, like, ah, yeah, let me, <laughs> I'll have to look up, I'll have to look it up because I, I actually, you know. It simplifies it, but it also gives you this, like, it, it's so, it's not memorable. You're right. Like, the way that when someone tells a story and you're going to recap it, you're set to someone, you know, you're, you're not going to say, this guy told me this story called you know what I mean? It, it does give it this sort of campfire tale kind of, you know, story in a bar. Yeah, it does. It definitely does that. Yeah, that was the best the best uh, idea I could think of at the time to kind of go go with that vibe. It's interesting when you're talking about kind of setting the stage for your own writing. Do you ever do that with music when you are writing something? Do you make sure that you are, uh, you know, you have your kind of interior playlist like, OK, this is the kind of music I want to listen to. Because I've, I've found that if I, uh, I kind of need that these days. I need to get in uh, the mood by having a very certain tone of music. And I need to stick to it. Because if I go too far off it, yeah. I will start wanting to write something else. No, I'm, I'm the exact same way. I find a lot of writers, screenwriters, I should specify, write to film scores for obvious reasons. Right. Yeah. I can't have words in the music I listen to when I'm writing. It's always, you know, just music words just that just throws me off i yeah i don't have like a, a compilation for the, it, i make a new one for every time i'm going to sit down and write and it's, it's sort of predicated on the vibe that i want to accomplish you know so sometimes it's like okay you know this is a, a the kind of script that that you know where i need to go so but but i cannot write in silence or like because then i just start getting in my head and then before i know it i've gone down too many you know rabbit holes of too many different things and yeah. i'm like oh i've been sitting here for half an hour uh thinking and not uh writing anything what do you listen to when you when you're running does it change as well well when i'm actually doing the physical process of writing um 
I usually have some, some maybe something on that's more like background chatter. What I do is when I kind of get in the mode of, okay, I, I've identified the tone of what I want to do. Then I, I kind of look around in my old iTunes library, put some things together. And I, I tend to just, as you know, as the month goes by and I'm writing this thing, I always have that maybe in the car going or uh, if I'm out walking around. All right, let me, let me listen to those in the headphones again. Just Otherwise, I do, the tone can actually wander if I'm not. But it's interesting what you said about, about, Using uh, you know Jason's narration because that his narrations are the perfect, you know, which is why he's so good with the knife point horror stuff. That's the that is the tone, that is the tone that can lock you in, uh, to to that very specific kind of style of writing. You know, it, it, when you're writing a screenplay like, and I've never written a novel or anything like that, so I don't I don't know if it's a different process. I I, I would assume it is, but when you're writing a screenplay, you often envision even if, whether it's a famous actor or not, but a person saying the dialogue as you're writing dialogue. At least I do. I often have to kind of hear it in my head. And I, I got really stuck on this one character who was this very kind of sardonic, uber nasty, kind of just total creep character. And Jason had done this episode of Horror Hill that was about like this guy who was, who who set up this great scheme to kill off kids at Halloween through through putting stuff in their candy. And the character was so unapologetically sinister and evil. And and that I heard that episode and that was that was my end to this character I was writing with. I was like, yes, he has to be so much this direction, so unapologetically I'm, I, the actor Tom Atkins once referred to it to me as delicious evil, as a person who almost it's not even a real construct necessarily of, of, a, of a person who who relishes evil because, you know, they always tell you as a screenwriter or writer, the bad guy doesn't think they're the bad guy. So that kind of notion of of that character who enjoys being evil is is, is very much a sort of a construct. But but it was right for this character. And it came from from that from this story that, that Jason had done on Horror Hill. And so, yeah, you definitely can find, you know, sort of inspiration or, or of the voice for a character in a podcast or whatever. You just have to then, of course, make sure at that point that that uh, it doesn't get too in your head. And then you're, you're writing and you're like, oh, shit, I'm actually just lifting <laughs> this person's oh, I character. No problem with that. I got no problem with that. <laughs> yeah. As long as it gets done. <laughs> yeah i'm curious uh, the knife point logo what the fuck is that little thing so that is a teeny tiny inset from a famous painting oh is it uh by hieronymus bosch if you look at this painting it's a giant painting if you zoom in tighter i thought tighter, it was it looked i used to look at it and be like it's so bosch ish and yeah. that's why is it garden of earthly delights I, I keep forgetting the name of the, the but yeah it's just uh uh a little little cutout uh from that that caught my eye once and um and you thought it was creepy yeah it's like it does like i don't know what this thing is there's no name for what it is and the fact that it's so small on this giant but it's still he's like looking right at you saying bring it on uh, i want to see like a little plushie of that creature as some kind of promotion for for your show yeah that would be a good idea you know when i was growing up and uh les miserables was showing in new york you know perennially at some point they ran out of they, they said look we can't run the same ad with you know the, the girl in the knit cap the famous ad yes. so yeah every every season they would start putting a different hat on her head 
in the ad. Oh, really? The were on. Yeah. And it was always thematic. Like, you know, when the Yankees, <laughs> when the Yankees were in the World Series, suddenly she had a Yankees cap for a week in the Sunday in, a, in the arts and leisure section of the Times. It was adorable. So I, I think the same thing should be applied to the to to the knife point horror uh, creature. Definitely. Let's get him, get him, a, get him in a Blue Jays it, cap. Yeah. I saw a picture of you somewhere on the on on the internet wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. Uh, yeah, that was uh, I don't know how I came across that, but do you know I have had more interaction with people on the street because of that natty, ill-fitting T-shirt than any other reason in my life? Because people will go Leafs, Leafs, <laughs> yeah. and they'll raise their yeah. fists. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Or, oh, one time, I, I forget where I was, but I, it was, um, I think, uh, upstate New York, and it was like ranger country. And uh, I, I thought I was kind of getting the evil eye from someone at a table, and the waitress said to me, oh, you know, you're, you're wearing a Leafs jersey. Uh, not, not a jersey, but a t-shirt. I'm like, oh my god, this, this guy is hardcore. We're going <laughs> to get into it. And I don't even care that much. I just always kind of liked them. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's it's funny. Maple Leafs fans, like a lot of sports fans, are pretty intense. And it's I used to have this uh, roommate who was obsessed with the the Maple Leafs, and he, every thing in the in our apartment turned into Maple Leafs. To the Kleenex dispenser, he had this little Kleenex dispenser that had Maple Leafs <laughs> on it, and and he had this little like bell that was connected to an app on his phone, so that. When he was watching Leaf games, anytime they would score, it would go off with this siren and the lights. And and the saddest thing was I'd be sitting there in the apartment and that fucking thing never went off. It just, <laughs> of course, of course not. Nor will it yeah. for the next 40 years. Yeah, it just, it just sat there and collected. I, and he would sit there just, you know, in his Leafs garb with his Kleenex box. And I was like, he probably has that because he's crying watching them yeah. lose constantly. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but I, I like uh, all the all the, I like all the teams that under, underperform throughout the decades. That's that's my that's my bag. I love those teams. Well, you said that you're a sports fan. Is there a particular sport that's sort of your favorite? Oh yeah, just a, I'm mostly a football baseball guy. Yeah, since I was a kid. So, and as much as uh, I, you know, the amount of time I've wasted, the amount of time I've wasted talking about sports and listening to it and watching it on TV, it's just it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing how much time I've wasted. It's because it's so egregious that it's almost poetic. A life wasted with utter nonsense. Like how do you explain that <laughs> to the aliens? Like how do you explain why we're addicted to professional team sports? The aliens visit. They're like, what? what? What are you watching? But I, but I can definitely relate to that with me with like uh, horror movies and video games. I think of the amount of time that I've spent talking to fellow uh, horror and video game geeks about just some stupid trivial detail that to us is like, whoa, wasn't that so cool? And, I, you know, you, you step back and think to anyone around you, they'd be like, no, loser. Talk about something, you know, that that has some substance. But no, I'm no, that's no good. It's. The key to life is being completely passionate about ridiculous things. You know, getting worked <laughs> yeah. up and fascinated and riveted. It. And that, I, I think it's great. I think it's just great. We care. We care about the big issues. That's we right. Just, we just want to talk about the other stuff. There's enough people talking about all that other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, why do you think that, uh, you know, horror is like an interesting medium and in that it translates well in so many, you know, different iterations, whether that's, you know, writing or film or, you know, plays, music. Um, but, 
you know, for podcasting, which is an audio format, uh, you know, I, horror seems to lend itself particularly well to that format. And you can go back a long way to, to, you know, radio plays that were horror and, you know, or it's not really horror, but you know, the classic Orson Welles, uh, or the world's thing. Like, why do you think that horror lends itself to, to that format so well to the audio format? I think we've learned since podcasting really began to kick in that there is, there is like this primal thing going on with the single voice in your ear. Um, whether it's so, so all these, these hard podcasts that, that crop up, uh, people just love, and I am no different. I love having that one voice, um, with with very few distractions telling the story. And, uh, I get so many emails from people saying, you know, I don't take this wrong way, but I tend to just use your podcast to fall asleep at night. Um, (laughs) I think, I think that's, that's terrific because I know exactly what they're talking about. Um, even going back and I, I tell people that, um, you know, when I was a kid, my father would take me to baseball games and driving home late at night, he would put on, uh, like the post game show. And back then it was just, just one dude talking for 20 minutes about nothing. And I, I, I think like a trace memory of that followed me all my life. Just that soothing single voice. Uh, but it's almost like you have this this person inside your head speaking directly to you and horror mm-hmm. lends itself to this very calm, uh, eerie kind of thing going on like a, a bigger cast or a, a audio drama people, you know, it's, it's just never, it's never the same. It's such a completely different experience. Uh, so I know there are a lot of people who just won't, won't even listen to those. Uh, of course there are people who won't listen to the single voice stuff either, but I, I just, it's stunning how often people have written to me and say, you know, there's, there's something about having that voice speaking to me um, in that tone, in that very soft, almost it's, a, it's, it's kind of a soothing, soothing thing, no matter how horrific things get. It is very soothing to hear those horror voices. Yeah, it's interesting too, right? Because I mean, horror is like, you know, part of its function uh, in, in often is to you know, shake people up, startle people, get under their skin, scare them, which doesn't seem like the most obvious fit for something to go to bed to. You know, I mean, a lot of people go to bed and they're playing serenity sounds and waterfalls and loon calls or whatever. Um, And then you have people like myself who are going to bed to like, you know, uh, death and murder. And I remember staying in a hotel. It was for a kind of family thing. And my, my my older sister and I, the hotel was booked up and so we ended up having to share a, a hotel room and i was going to bed uh we were in bed lights are ever and, and i couldn't fall asleep so i put on a knife point story and i'm trying to remember which one it was i think it was uh field fields mm-hmm. field yeah the one yeah and um it get it got to the part where they're talking about the sort of the, the creatures these these they're, they're like three-legged or the one leg one leg yeah. right kind of mm-hmm. yeah. and all of a sudden i out of just in the, and I thought my sister was asleep. Also in the dark, just all here is, what the fuck are we listening to? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, sorry, is it keeping you up? And she was like, for a while, it was helping me fall asleep. But then I started listening, and it's, and she's like, and now I need you to turn it off because now I need to hear the end. And how much longer is it? And I was like, 
you know, that's funny because for me, I think after a while, like if you've been listening to podcasts when you go to bed, there's some that I can listen to and fall asleep to and some that I can't like chat chat programs. I can't fall asleep to if people if there's discourse like that's it, because then, you you know, it's too lively and you get caught up in, you know, and they're like, I love Conan O'Brien's podcast, but I'm laughing and stuff. So I'm not going to fall asleep. Another podcast that I remember trying to, to put on at nighttime that, that had a lot of sound effects. You know, if there's explosions and stuff, mm-hmm. the, 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 the abrupt changes in volume. But Knife Point was perfect because, as you said, it's a single voice. There was there was sometimes sort of atmospheric music, but it was fairly even keel. So, like, yeah, I would be lying if I said I have not fallen asleep to your voice on many occasions. I'm 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 of that oeuvre of people who have emailed you about that. Right, and maybe the. The um, the lowercase titles, uncapitalized, are basically <coughs> the signal that that's what that episode is suitable for falling asleep to. Basically, because it's just usually it's just the later ones are just me. I swear that the, one of the best compliments I ever got is a friend of mine, uh, as a, a mother of advanced years, and started playing her these stories. And this woman has no interest in horror, you know, listening to this ghastly things, but it's just, it's just the sound of the voice telling a story. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. it is. I, I, I'm one thing, one of these things I've learned in the last 12 years is, um, horror is, and true crime too, it's just such comfort food for us. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but it's maybe because it is ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that we don't really have to worry about it. It's not right. an issue. Uh, in, in fields, you know, when the, you know, eating each, each other, eating each other's legs off and whatnot, like the, none of this can happen. It's ridiculous, and therefore it is soothing. Uh, right, and so and you can hear, listen to it again and again because now you're you're in some world where you know, it's it's funny when the guy gets his head lopped off. It's funny, right? Because it's it's it's, Wait. it's absurd. And there's such a there's such a sort of you know, I mean, how often when you like say in a horror movie, when you're watching a horror movie and somebody gets scared, do they, you know, everybody talks about that, the laugh that comes after the scare. And, um, uh, I, you know, the director, Stuart Gordon, told me one time because uh, Stuart's films so often had a lot of humor in with the horror. But but what I thought was so neat that Stuart Gordon would do is like the horror was still scary and, and, and the comedy was comedy. Uh, it, so it wasn't like, you know, that the, the horror suffered because of the comedy. And I and I remember asking Stuart sort of, you know, is there a trick? Because he's so good at that or was. And I said, you know, um, is there a trick to it? He said, well, you can absolutely horror and comedy go together wonderfully, but generally not at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a, that seemed like a, that makes sense to me. Except for in Return of the Living Dead, where they somehow might. <laughs> yeah, the, the pivot can be really quick. And uh, when I was younger, I, I mistakenly thought, no, you can't. It's it's dumb to mix the two. Just be start out of the gate with the story. Maintain that tone of just oppressive. And actually, I, now that I, I, I don't think that is the way to do it. I Now I do realize that, yeah, you can have some levity in there. You can have it for a good long time and you can. You can go back to it sometimes. It's, it doesn't harm the story necessarily. Uh, it took me a long time to learn that, and I still don't. I still don't apply it correctly. I still don't. I still don't go for that. I tend. I tend to shy away. I tend to get a little bit nervous. Like you know, it'd be interesting if, you know, the first five minutes of this were kind of comical. It would be really. No, 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 no. I can't do it. I'll screw it up. 
Yeah, it's a tricky alchemy to sort of find the right balance of when to do it, how to do it. You know, that's like it's it's tough. Um, that's I think that's why there's so many bad horror comedies, uh, you know, and 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 the really good ones um, are sort of a rare beat for every, you know, sort of Shaun of the Dead. There's, you know, 50 zombie comedies that are uh, just torture. Um, one thing that's really interesting to me in your stories is uh there's this this bizarre to me like as as a listener and also as a writer it's so kind of unique and sort of strange that there's almost you almost have some fixation on like logistical details in the stories street names the distances between two places the exact time like there's all these like logistical things that you usually don't hear in a story why do you why do you put all that information in, in into your stories some of it's a conscious uh, attempt to just give a little bit of color at just the right time to make it just a little bit more vivid and like this this really happened uh, the characters remembering unusual details um because i think when you when you recount something horrific that happens to you i think if you're sitting there telling the police they would be shaking their heads that yeah i don't i don't care about that get to this other thing but you you just start yeah, and the guy had like uh, a blue shirt. He had like a little mustard stain, like right here. Right. Like you yeah, know, whatever. But that does lend a little authenticity uh, to things. Um, I've I've put together a, a a small list of some of my favorite knife point horror stories. I wondered if you could tell me a bit about their how you conceived them, and you know yeah. if there was influences or where they might have come from. Sure. Um, they're not they're not in any particular order. So uh, so I'm just going to shoot a few at you and you sort of tell me what you can remember about sort of how they came to be and, and whatnot. Ready? Yes. All right. The first one is Sisters. Sisters. Uh, I, I, I love any any story that's where the elements come into play. Howling winds, the mountains, cold snow, ice. I just feel it as I as I write those things. Uh, and I just always wanted to do, um, you know, the old creepy castle story, because there could be nothing more horrifying than just setting foot in that. To me, so to me, Sisters was about just the moment where the guy sets foot at the end of the castle before he even sees the craziness that's, that's going on, and just the, those echoing sounds of the spiral staircases. I, I just wanted to do a story uh, like that, and that that became Sisters. It's such an atmospheric story like it's 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 one that like one of the few times for me as a pretty hardened horror person who's read some pretty you know intense stuff and watch it that that got under my skin that particular story and you're right it has a lot to do with that 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 sense of there the isolation the cold the um there's a there's such a sort of textured nature to to where it is and, and a sense of time and place that uh, that I think is part of what's what's what really sticks out in that particular story. There's um, you know historical sounding names that that you have there, like uh, Abby Saint Jeunesse, and uh, are is any of that based on real places or real things, or is it just did you just make it all up? Uh, it's it's usually a very uh, unprofessional mix of the two concepts. I uh, usually th um, focus in map wise on an actual place. And I tend to invent what I don't actually know for certain. So most of the stories I, I couldn't even say now, like, okay, is that 
is that a real town name or did I make that up? Right. Um, I probably, I do regret not taking a more careful analytical approach to that, like very definitely choosing one way or the other. But I, I don't like to do a whole lot of research. To me, re- research is not a whole lot of fun. Um, so I will, and I, I've gotten some things like glaringly wrong, um, as, as people have sent me in emails. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> it, it is it is what it is. Like a lot of your stories, it doesn't have like a neat wrap up. There really isn't a lot of answers. Um, and that's something that I, you know, a lot of your stories possess that quality. For you as a horror writer, do you think that it is, um, uh, you know, behoo of the horror writer to try to answer too many questions and, and try to wrap it up too neatly? Well, I, as a, like, as a reader and a watcher and a listener, I don't like to be confused by things. But I think things which don't have a clear explanation, um, they resonate more. You can listen to them uh, more often. And there's nothing scarier than when something bad happens to you in life and you don't understand why. That's the thing. I'm like, why me? Um, and so I, I like to hold hold back just, just enough information where it's just like you could just go insane thinking about like, what did that little thing mean? What 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 was that? But again, it's all about kind of creating more color. Uh, when you have some unanswered questions that don't really interfere with the plot or actually confuse people, I think it can be be pretty powerful. Yeah. Okay. The, the next story I wanted to talk about was legend. So where did, how did, you know, and in the little description of that, you sort of said it, what you wanted it to feel like a campfire story. Um, right. So legend, let me confirm. This is the one about the guy going to the small town in the middle of the mountains, right? To the Airbnb. That's All correct. Because right? yeah. I confuse that often with the story about the cannery. I, and I almost, right. I almost uploaded the wrong version recently when I was doing a little retroactive editing. <laughs> God, that's, for some reason, those two always always get me. But uh, that was based on an actual, actual trip to a small, uh, just kind of passing through a town that, that seemed so empty. And I got out uh, fairly briefly, and I just had this weird vibe, like, you know what? I've driven too far. I should not be here. This place doesn't really seem to want me here. And then I got a load of this, I saw this cemetery where it was... It seemed to be almost at, uh, at a 45 degree angle. I thought, wow. I, and it was cold and, and dark. And uh, I, I just wanted to get the hell out of there. Boom. That became that, became that story. Uh, that's one of the very few instances of me actually being in a place and, and writing directly about it. It so captures that. I remember you know, listening to the story and thinking, I think everybody's had some time in their life where they were in a place where they felt like, they they shouldn't something energetically told them I'm I this I'm not safe right now or I shouldn't be here, and that story yeah, really nails yeah. that. And yeah, I honestly can't remember any other time where I felt it that intensely. And I think I probably just psyching myself out for no reason because I'm scared of everything. You know, actually, I, as I drove up there, you know, I saw on the horizon. Have you ever been driving along in those giant uh, the wind turbines? Yeah, where uh, I live, yeah, they're right, all yeah. around me because I live. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I came up around this curve, and there was one. You know, and immediately you think War of the Worlds. That's that's the association I have. Because <laughs> right. there was just one, just so close. As I came around this curve, I think that's what started it. Like, okay, I, this this is not a good, this is not a good good place to be. 
Yeah, I sent that story to my cousin because we have this memory, this shared memory together when we were younger. And it was when he first got his driver's license and we were driving out in the country and we just went driving just it was kind of like, let's see where we end up and maybe we'll stay in a motel or something. And, but we were pretty young. Like he just got his license. Um, and we, after a few hours, we ended up in this town. It was called corn town. That's like hmm. actually what it was called. <laughs> and it had this like banner that was hung up for this like harvest festival. And on it, it said 1993. And it was battered and tattered and everything with all the shops were shuttered and uh, um and and we were like, we should get the hell out of here now. Uh, like both of us, yeah, you know, had done read enough Stephen King and knew enough to know that when you end up in Corntown yeah. that still had all its decorations up from its nineteen ninety three harvest festival, get out. Yeah. You're lucky to be alive. I think so too. Also, legend I think is remarkable because uh, it's the first appearance of the town of Grenza, which I don't know why, but that word, I think it's something about that word has stuck not just with me and my husband who say it fairly regularly. Um, I've even noticed like fans of yours will write and ask about Grenza. Is Grenza a real place? Where did Grenza come from? Grenza is not the real name of the town. The town is, um, it always eludes me. It always eludes me, but it's a town in West Virginia. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think it, even if I did remember the name at this moment, I don't think I should say it because it's, it's more special if you don't really know which town it was. Cause maybe <laughs> right. you'll wind up there on accident, but it is a little and, tiny, and have, exactly the size, exactly the character of, 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 as it was described with, you know, that, that small, a, a remaining population actually. And the name Grenza was something you just pulled out of thin air? Like it, it sounds a little bit like the actual name of the town. A little bit. Okay. So, but I pulled it out of out of my face, yep. And I think doesn't it didn't one of your more recent stories doesn't Grenza reappear in one of your more recent stories, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, you know, the the author of Sibling Horror, uh yep. he uh he said, you know what, I, I wanna do a a story set in that town and he just he just went ahead and did it and uh so he had me on that uh, episode i said oh sure go ahead yeah absolutely it's you know it doesn't belong to me it's go for it so um right yeah matt fred and, and uh, sibling horror he came up with it and and his sister okay. emma, emma yeah they write they write the stories together and they said yeah we're gonna do a grenza story i'm like oh God, okay go for it Sometimes just a, a a name or a play something that you notice you think will sort of catch on for some strange reason, audiences cling on to something. I'm wondering, and Jason, you can speak to this too. If for either of you on your respective shows, if there was ever a some a bit or a name or a character or something that you wrote that at the time was just like you thought, ah, oh, it's whatever it is. It's just this. It's just this. And then for whatever reason the listeners reacted in a way that you didn't anticipate. The town um, actually of Lenore uh, from Rebirth, which was one of the first uh, sound designed uh, uh, narrations I ever did. Um, that one I, I, I tried to work into a few. It shows up in a garbled radio recording of another story I did by a different author. Oh, just cool. like, um, stay, it's like, stay away from Lenore. And uh, <laughs> I thought great. that was fun. Yeah, I intended to do more of that, but uh, as I 
as I don't really do my own sound design on Horror Hill anymore, unfortunately, uh, it's fallen off. But I, I, I try to, I like interconnections like that. Um, yeah, very appealing. I just maybe one day I'll have time to do all my own sound design. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of myself. It, it, it has always been my dream, of course, that I accidentally give birth to a catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would be just so awesome, you know, like, uh, it's, so hopefully I'll, yeah, I would like to name, have a name of a character or a town or, or, or a place and, and suddenly start, someone starts using it as a verb, you know, you really father hauled that man. You really father hauled that. that Dude, that, you that, fucking ri- you Richard kinded me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you just got grinsed. <laughs> yeah. That's you know, right. Speaking of Tom Atkins, you know, my friends and I, you know, of course, you know, we're always watching halloween three you know the atkins legend yeah but, uh you know they say hey well what have you been I watching i just talked like, to him on the phone two days ago uh, really about coming on yeah about coming on the podcast oh, man and he gave he gave me the funniest answer he was like well i you know my wife has to set all that shit up and i don't know how to use any of those things and <laughs> uh, let me think about it uh oh, and i was like oh come on tom it'll be great it'll be uh, and he's like yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that. How do you get it? You get to do it over what, like that Zoom thing? And I was like, Yeah, yeah. What's well, it's 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 like it's like that. And he was like, I don't know. I'll call you back. And that was the end of that discussion. Yeah. Whenever we watch, whenever I watch any of his movies, and one of my friends says, Hey, what'd you watch? He goes, Well, I'm back on the Atkins diet. You know, I had to watch the dog. You know, we always do that. We always do that with with great actors' names that we we just love. You know, you got to turn it into some kind of but yeah, so yeah, I, I would. I'll have to name. tell him about that. He'll love that. I'll <laughs> tell him sure that. He's heard it a million times. Yeah, I, I, you, you got to go on the Atkins diet, man. You got to, you got to watch. I remember the one time he was, uh, he and I were together at a, uh, uh, I think we were, we were going into a coffee shop. We were filming at the time. It was a, a, a pilot I was directing, and 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 Tommy Atkins was in it, and Bill Sadler was playing his brother, <laughs> and uh, so that was you know a blast having those two. <laughs> together on uh, uh, they were so great but but we were in this coffee shop and this uh kind of very conventiony looking guy you know uh it's like just like a just everything had horror movie logos pictures on it and he walks up to tom and he goes tom and tom kind of looks over and then he goes thrill me and Tom goes, yeah, I've never fucking heard that before. <laughs> yeah, usually like he'll, he's like, oh, yeah, but that day he just wasn't having it, you know. I, I always imagine Tom Atkins as being more or less like the dad in Creepshow. I would hope that that is what he would be like. I won't spoil anything for you. Yeah. Yeah. I won't. It, it's it's funny. It's because it, for actors who play, you know, and Tom doesn't usually play like um, he doesn't play monsters. He plays played villains. But uh, but w- I was with Tony Todd at a at a, at a, a restaurant and, and a, a person came up to him and went Candyman. And he went, my name's a Candyman. It's Tony. And he was so much scarier in that moment than he ever is as Candyman. <laughs> and this kid like was terrified and just walked off. And Tony was like, that's how you make him go away. And I was just like, yeah, it was great. Yeah, Fields. We talked about Fields a bit earlier. Uh, I don't know if it's Field or Fields. I think it's Fields. Um, That was was another one that that really creeped me out because I'm an avid camper. So the idea of just going on finding a, a... a camping spot where the actual like land is saturated in evil. And then I, that was just such a great kind of creepy 
quality to me. Um, and I love the bit where the, the crazy lady clocks him with the chair. Um, yeah. That was great, too. Yeah. I always think that's going to happen to me whenever I meet somebody new, that they're going to just suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> just hit you with a chair. <laughs> but I, 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 that story came about. I have always been, I, I don't know, I find I'm a big Fields fan. Like if I'm driving along and there's a especially nice field to the right, I always have to point it out to whoever I'm with. Look at like look at the quality of that field. Look at the slopage, just the right amount of trees. <laughs> quality, quality work. I just love. I always, I actually thought you know the big list of podcast ideas, where I would just review various fields as I drive around. <laughs> that sounds like a hit. I think you're onto something <laughs> you know, there, Sorry. I think it's a little thin. A little thin at this time, but uh, really just the, the, the visuals of those rolling, that's kind of more or less how that story came to be, I think. So sometimes the, the sort of the kernel of these stories is just something as little as just like in this scenario, you're like, I like fields. So I wrote a scary story about a field. Is that like, was it sort of that simple? It's it's so random. It's so right. random. It's ridiculous. Sometimes, sometimes it'll be watching a movie watching a movie that's bad and thinking, you know what, they there was an I there were a kernel of an idea there. They just didn't do it right. So let me try that. Sometimes it's literally thinking, what haven't I done? And what what needs a little bit of a refresher? Can I do that in like a slightly different way? But I, I would say most often I'm just walking along and a, an image pops into the head and that becomes something else. And uh, it's getting harder and harder. It doesn't happen quite as easily as it used to, which is disturbing. But uh, yeah, I, I wish I could say that there was a, a good way to, to go about getting ideas. But yeah, yeah, maybe it's just just kind of leaving leaving the apartment is always a good start. You know, the more you're out in the world and just doing stuff, the more likely you are to meet someone interesting, see some interesting sight, even if you you wind up at a, at a different Arby's than normal. You know, you never know what's going to trigger something, but I guess you just got to get out. I've noticed it. One thing too with. Uh, creative creative people particularly with writers um you know two that come to mind where i remember seeing a picture of ray bradbury's uh like office that he would work in and it was just like like cl just cluttered with just photographs and books and little tchotchkes and just stuff everywhere and um and the other person was i was uh george romero um i was at his apartment and he had comic books just stuff everywhere and uh and he said to him, he's like, I can't work when I'm writing in a room that doesn't have tons of stuff in it. Yeah. And I said, and I totally get that because it's that thing sometimes when I'm writing, because I have so much stuff yeah. when I'm writing, just that thing of looking around. And then I, you know, I see a move, one of the movie posters on my wall or, uh, you know, I have like all these little like the, if either of you have seen the Puppet Masters series, the, the movie series by Full Moon. Um, I have replicas, full scale replicas of every single one of the puppets from Puppet Master. And like, there's probably been like four different scripts I've written that were influenced by characters from Puppet Master, which are puppets. Mm -hmm. um, I don't tell the producers that because they'd be like, that's probably why um, this script sucks because you based it off wooden puppets. Um, <laughs> but uh uh, yeah, you know, I think right. I think for writers, like that place where the idea comes from, it, that's a vaporous sort of thing, right? I mean, it's there isn't a quick sort of entry to just sort of this is where I get my ideas. I don't think many writers have that. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I think there is like if I set myself a goal in the next thirty days to come up with an original idea, 
that's workable. Yeah, the process would have to be so different. It's so different. I have to sit there and write out lists of things. I, and I, that gets, then it becomes work. So it's easier right. to just wait. It's easier to just wait because there's always seems to be some idea coming along on the idea bus. Um, I've gotten lucky in that way too. There's always seems to have been like one more thing I I, I want to write. And sometimes there's there's dry spells, but you know the bus always comes along eventually. Do you keep like a moleskin or something with you at all times to just jot down ideas or any of that kind of stuff? Uh it's all on the it's all on the phone these days. The little notes app. Yeah. I feel bad that I don't have a nice moleskin like a like a writer. Yeah, I know. <sighs> I carried one around for the longest time. Just because I was sure it would, it was what you were supposed to do, mm-hmm. and I just ended up writing like groceries and stuff in it. Yeah, I don't think I ever wrote. Yeah, <laughs> I've never once. Yeah. And I, I love like a good blank book, and I love getting them as like gifts because it's sure. selling you hope. It's like, oh yeah, and you just feel right. You, like you've been giving something that that's part of your identity. Like here's your blank book because you are a person who writes things and you have ideas. It's a great feeling. Yeah. Um. But of course, yeah, inevitably what goes in there is not something that you want to have your biographers looking into because it's, it's <laughs> yeah. grocery lists. It's like, oh, oh, this thing is on Netflix tonight. Let me write down what time. You know, it's, right. it's utterly absurd. Yeah. But the spirit <laughs> of the blank book is very much alive in me. Okay, next story, uh, Attic. Um, Attic's great. What I, what, what I love about that story, aside from the – just that the ending is bone chilling is that story to me almost reads like a it's like a character piece like there's not a lot of the ominousness of it is so slowly built and very precise and calibrated and and there but there is no major event that we see or hear in that story it's these two brothers they go to clear out this thing this crazy old lady that used to live there that was their aunt and da 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 and you know, and then they they go across the street. There's, but there's no like, there's no violence. There's nothing in the actual story. It's all build up to the discovery of something that happened long ago. Um, so I'm curious, like with a story like that, where you don't have, you know, there's no, like, there's no body count. There's no creature. There's no, like, what, what, did, what's sort of the intent setting out when you wrote Attic? You know, what did you say to yourself? I want to kind of do sort of a character driven suspense piece here that's less you know uh i mean it's almost more of a thriller right than it is straight ahead horror yeah well, once in a while i will look back over what I, the things that i've done recently and i'll realize oh you know i'm forgetting to actually try to scare people and i will sit down and i will try to say you know above all this has got to be a slow burn scary forget you know it's gotta it's gotta work that way but uh that image of of more so than the attic itself, the pole that people keep and the door, you know, when you look up and there's that the outline of the door, that was the image that I think I was, yeah. has always stuck with me since I was a kid. And I wanted to do something simply about that. But also, I, I also like, I like the primal fear elements, which, uh, you know, first messed around within staircase of the sense that you think you know someone, but it turns out the person that you're, in the room with is not who you thought they were. And that, that moment of, Oh my God, what I was wrong. I was yeah. wrong about someone. And I now, and now I'm in danger. I am 
physically in the worst possible position. I like that right. stuff. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe part of it was nostalgia. You had that the layouts of the of the houses and uh, the spinning chair and the way everything is is a direct port of a house I used to spend a couple summers in when I was a little kid. My aunt Grace, um, who was not not crazy like the the aunt of the story, <laughs> but uh, right. It was very easy to visualize because of that. So that was taken from youth. It was because it is one of those stories that has, again, it has these these wonderful, you know, really detail oriented things about the characters and about when they would come to visit their aunt. And there was another component of that story for me as a listener that it really captured sort of the, I think, the sort of danger of nostalgia and the danger of, of misremembering a place or remembering a place to be something that it isn't. And then you go back there and all of a sudden you sort of see it for what it really is. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, don't, I forget if I was going for anything like that. Probably I wasn't that clever. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'm also drawn to these, to more and more, just the tragic elements of this character of the brother. It's, it's such a sad story. It's like, what the hell? This guy's just lost. Just completely mm-hmm completely lost and uh, you know the contrast of them as kids and yeah the the innocence gets lost like like that you know you're a grown-up and there's you know you're not having fun (laughs) there's nothing fun about being an adult there are certain descriptions like where he described him as having big scary muscles i was like i i so saw that immediately because of that description there's a difference between a guy who's just in shape and muscular and then scary muscle. When you described it yeah. that way, I was like, I know exactly what you mean by that. <laughs> well, like when you just said this conventionally looking guy, I'm going to remember that. Cause that immediately I just knew like, what a great description conventionally looking guy. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need. Everyone knows what that, yeah. that looks like. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Simpsons nailed it with their depiction of the comic book guy, right? I mean, that, that guy is the comic book guy. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The, the my favorite game store in Falls Church, Virginia, it was, it was, I mean, it was darkly funny because the, the guy, that was the guy that was comic book guy <laughs> from the Simpsons, 100%. And you hate to think of stereotypes and so forth, but like, oh my goodness, you know, could it be <laughs> any more obvious? Yeah. Um, and of course in, in Attic, there's, you know, the big sort of payoff or it's not even a payoff. It's because the whole story is just this wonderful dread creep. But, but at the end, there's the bit where, you know, he reaches into the, the box and he finds the paper bag. And, and I know, of course, as a writer that by design, you know, the audience is supposed to kind of use their imagination there about what, what is actually inside the paper bag. Did you have it? Did you ever decide for yourself as the writer, what you felt was inside the paper bag? No. And in fact, a lot of times um, I actually don't know things and I purposefully don't think about them too hard i just knew that you know whatever is in that bag it's awful it's just awful right um i may have some idea but a lot of times people don't believe me they're like what do you mean you you wrote it you have to know these things like no no no. i actually don't know sometimes the endings of these i don't really know what happened after that like i don't know what the narrator vatic did after that he's got this horrible choice like what's he gonna do yeah and i don't know what he did i do not know and i don't know what was in that bag um, but it ain't good. It's it's the MacGuffin, right? It's the it's the it's the inside of the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. It's like it it, it has a function within within the story you're telling, but what it exactly is, you know, is kind of 
not that relevant. Yeah. It's anticlimactic if, if you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree totally. I'd like I, I, my husband and I were talking various theories about what was in the bag, which is again part of the fun. I think it stimulates a, a discussion with 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 listeners if you do things like that. And I said, oh, what's you know must be like a, a body part or something. And he was like, no, no, no way. It would have decomposed by now. There's no way. Like he had s- s- these very logistical reasons for why he was deciding what was in the bag. And I was like, you have given this a lot of thought. Um, <laughs> you tell him, would it have entirely decomposed? Yeah, I think would he had decided that it was a piece of bloodied like clothing or something that that made more sense, and he's probably right because he's generally right, and I'm I'm generally not, so we'll go with that. <laughs> and one of the th- one of the things that 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 I've also noticed that fans of the, of of Knife Point, myself included, always enjoy is I love at the beginning of each episode where when you just say hello, my name is, and then there's the character name. I'm curious. Uh, these are some real character names from some of your stories. I'm going to read you some of these. Tell me if you have any recollection of where you got these names, how you came up with them, just anything that comes to mind, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, the first one is Elliot Lem. Uh, good old Elliot Lem. Um, I think that was probably a case of what I do quite often, I'm ashamed to admit it. We all have our name randomizers, and sometimes I'll use imdb.com. Mm-hmm. I'll type in cast, crew, and then some old movie that I've seen, because it'll spit out yep. a bunch of names. Yeah, And I'll, I'll often just kind of work with that and try to get um, you know just a syllable, just kind of get a sense of something but i like yeah so it basically my character names often just surprise me in that way and i think i think elliot was was a case like that what about aramis churchton oh, i mean aramis man. churchton come on sorry an aramis churchton that is not that's <laughs> yeah i remember yeah also being a sports fan you, you, know, you got to know that the the names creep in so sometimes we have a hybrid of someone who played for the 1975 Reds and you know the last name is someone who played you know for the Quebec Nordiques in 19 mm-hmm. uh I think that was uh, a case a case of that where if you dig through the archives and just that name Aramis I thought, oh that's a, that's a really that's a really cool first name it's a bit obnoxious but it's different i could i couldn't name that guy john or he had to be like <laughs> no that's an, yeah. odd name. that's an odd this guy stands out he's different yeah well it makes me think of i for some reason I remember when i heard the name Aramis churchton i thought of have you ever seen secret of nim or read the book it's based on oh not for not since i was a little kid the, the character nicodemus in mm. in secret of nim like i remember thinking like Imagine if that character's name instead of Nicodemus was like Ron. Like it just you can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just can't do that. And You've yet, give you know, the... the name McDonald's doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and yet, there we are. You know, it, it's yeah. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it matters far less. But I, I, I do fear that one day I'm going to screw up and name a character something that because I've fallen out of touch with pop culture, that I'm gonna. Like, oops, you know, like, my name is Tom Brady. Like, I'll do something like that. <laughs> yeah. And I won't catch myself until it's too late. Yeah. So please tell, yeah. please write to me if I do that. Another one I liked was um, Robert Tathala. 
I was like, that sounds like you just threw a bunch of letters together to come with Tathala. You know what like, I did there? I, I'm pretty sure I threw a bunch of letters <laughs> together and just right. like the sound. I do have a fondness for certain, you know, you have a, you develop a fondness for the rhythms of certain kind of words, a certain sound. And that that is the kind of, uh, of sound I like. Piero Corso? Piero Corso. Who was, oh, what? that's from an earlier story. What story was that from? Piero Corso. It's the one where the guy goes to, he, he runs like a podcast and he goes to a town to investigate this, like it's supposed to be like a haunted town. Rebirth, right. What Jason was talking yeah, about. Piero Corso. That's right. Um, Calls him to say, don't go there. Right. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I got to give a shout out to our friends across the Atlantic. Sometimes, I, you know, forget, forget there's a whole other world out there. I like to, uh, you know, try to represent other other people's and other cultures <laughs> that are out there. So, so I remind myself sometimes, look, you know, there's more to life than just America, dude. Um, there's even rumors of a, of a country above the 50 states that mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's real or not, but, you know, sometimes you got to mention these things. So that was probably a conscious attempt to give a little bit of color. Um, and I probably went like, went to IMDb, said like, cast crew suspiria or something like that you know? right yeah 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 <laughs> one of my favorite ones and it's not even one of the 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 the, the ones like it's not even an aramis churchton is patrick kind and i think it's just because of how you said it mm. and also oh, because for kind yeah okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah that's, right. <laughs> that's right and also for some reason what i kept slipping up and when i my husband would say Patrick Kind, he, so he'd answer the phone and go, "This is Patrick Kind," and I would laugh or whatever. And one day I went to do it to him, and I said, "Richard Kind." Totally different <laughs> if you say you're Richard Kind. Yeah, yeah of course. I was like, I, I immediately thought of Richard Kind when I used that as a last name because how could how could you not? So I sent you a list of of names. Yes. In advance, I'd like you to read those <laughs> names each time. Say my name is, and read those names for me. My name is Clem Sabat. My name is Clayton Nadler. My name is Eugene Lutz. My name is Michael Trent Wilkinson. <laughs> I, that I'm, was I'm better than I ever hoped. Clem Sabat. I love Clem Sabat. That is. <laughs> that was that was better than I could have dreamed. Thank you, Soren. That was wonderful. <laughs> That was great. You just gotta sample that into like a rap song, all those pronunciations. Which one's your favorite, Clem Sabat? Yeah, Clem Sabat, I think is the Clayton Adler. You know, that's that's kind of a comedy name. That's like you know, um, it's like the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the it's like if Tim Allen was like in another Santa Claus sequel. You know, he playing a guy. Clayton Adler didn't expect that to happen. You know, <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> okay and eugene lutz that's a tough one to make scary but it's it it can be done soren i know that with your work like you don't you're you're not concerned about copywriting and all that shit like if someone can't comes to you and says hey i want to make a short out of when you just let them do it and they don't have to give you any money or anything i yeah i I love the kind of uh the independent spirit the independent amateur spirit of people taking others works and doing something not for a paycheck, but for the love of doing it, and because it's interesting, and because it, it's it's creative, it's 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 just I love I love it. I, I think uh, I wish I could always do that for for people. Have any have any of your fans 
done anything like that? Have they has, has anyone produced a short film or anything like that from one of your stories at this point? Yeah, several things. Um, there, there have now been three short films based on Staircase. Um, a few years ago, also this uh, this group of British comic artists put together a graphic novel. Uh, took like uh, ten of the stories and just did this amazing, amazing work. Great graphic novel. Uh, a couple of stage stage plays, uh, Counterweight Theater in Colorado Springs last year, the year before did. Uh, yeah, just they just write to me and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking of doing. It. I'm like, yeah, damn right, do it, and and just go your own way with it, and don't. Uh, don't be beholden to any of the ideas. Just uh, take it and and run. So I'm always always interested to see what people come up with. That's very cool. Like, and, and you don't think it would chap your ass if someone made a movie of one of your stories and it made a ton of money, and they were like, "Hey, you said I didn't have to share any." Well, if you catch wind of it, uh, let's let's go kick their ass. <laughs> 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 They at least owe you a new Toronto Maple Leafs t-shirt or something. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah bake me, bake me a pie or something. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that's happened with knife point over time is I've noticed that it, it has started to sort of evolve into including additional elements that you didn't hear in the earlier seasons, uh, you know, other actors and, and uh, uh, you know, the, just including some effects work and a bit more design work. Was that just a way of keeping it fresh for you just to, to start layering in other, other, other elements to the show? Yeah. I always, I just have to keep myself creatively interested. And sometimes that means like, Oh, I, I, I'll hear certain scenes in my mind. I'll see them play out. I was like, I, I have to have this play out in, in, a, in a different, in a, like a, in a bigger way. Uh, so I've started playing with various formats and, uh, always trying to figure out how, how can I, how can I twist this story into something, some unusual format? Uh, yeah, it, it, I've kind of gotten to that point where the, the horror subjects themselves sometimes aren't as intriguing to me as the characters doing something new with the characters, getting deeper with the characters and tweaking the format. It's just to keep me indulge my, my brain. Purely, purely for that reason, yeah. And how do you go about selecting the other voice actors that you've used in in your in your different uh, in your different stories? Well, I've been lucky to be contacted by people out of the blue sometimes who send me little samples, but also I, I seem to have uh, you know stumbled across just like this this core of people who I just love to go to because I know they're going to be good. And I know they're going to be you know uh, responsible, and uh, I know they're going to surprise me. A couple of times I've gone out and uh, done some very unofficial auditions, very simple process. It's uh, it's tough. It's tough to find the right kind of kind of voices. The actors that poor some poor people like yeah, they're they're terrific, but it just wasn't really how I heard these things in my mind. You know, that's that's always tough. But uh, yeah, the the people keep coming, and. Uh, just enough uh, rotating voices in and out occasionally, uh, but I like to come back to the same same people again and again, just because I just I, I like the way they sound. I just think they do such a good right. job. Yeah. Have you have your have your fans responded well to, to to you trying to mix up the formula, or or do you have some fans that kind of want you to go back to that that 
single voice kind of stripped down version of of, of the earlier version of, of knife point uh the consensus is that that it's it's the first person narration that's always going to be more of a of a draw and i just people uh are good enough to be patient with me while i work through other ideas basically um there are some people who have slowly gone in the other direction like you know i i think i like these these bigger bigger productions uh, to me, they're the the bigger productions with the bigger casts are the stuff that I I personally can listen to, and enjoy. Um, I can't listen to myself, so maybe that's part of the draw, because I I need content to enjoy myself. Yeah. <laughs> so if I can yeah. get other people yeah. in it, uh, yeah. Jason, I know you've done some of Soren's stories both on Horror Hill and on, on some other shows. In fact, I I think I recall you saying in one of your introductions on Horror Hill that that Soren's stories to this day are your favorite stories to perform. Uh, why, why, why is that? Why are Soren's stories your favorite stories to perform? Um, for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier, like, um, you know, the, the blood spatter journal with the police lights coming through the window, there's a kind of like a, almost an archeological sense to it. Like this, you know, this account was found and now we're, now all we can do is examine it. Soren, have you listened to to Jason's uh, covers of your? Story? Oh yeah, in fact, yeah, like it's again, it's it's I can actually, in, in the rare cases that I go back to a story, I like I want to hear someone else read them, you know, and preferably, preferably someone like Jason who, and you know, Jason won't he won't pick the obvious ones, which is great, you know, I so something like uh, Army or Rebirth, like okay, this is, oh man, Jason's doing this one, and it's like oh I haven't I haven't even listened to this since the first time. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Um, actually the favorite, my favorite thing, uh, with Jason was, um, when he and I did a little, uh, radio adaptation of a JG Ballard story for another knife point episode, just like a Halloween thing. And he played, yeah. uh, this, this captain because it was like within five seconds, it's just me and him. You just know who's boss uh, on that, right. in that space station, <laughs> you know, cause he comes up with this voice and he's playing, you know, I'm answering to him like, sir. I'm saying sir a lot. And he is just like so in control of the situation that it's just perfect. I mean, I just, I, that's the one I listen, I listen to that Jason Hill more than any other Jason Hill, actually. So one of the things I've noticed is sort of looking at sort of the, your interaction with, with your listeners is like the most consistent complaint is always the same one too long between episodes, too long between us. Now, is that because, is it a thing where you wait till you have that, just, you know, that idea where you're like, all right, this sort of, you know, I fancy this idea enough to go all the way with this, or is it just a thing where it's just you've got other stuff going in your life, and when you get around to it, you come and do a knife point? Oh, I got nothing else going on. I can assure you of that. Uh, no, it just takes it just takes a while to until I'm happy with something. It just takes longer and longer, and sometimes I'll um, it's just not coming. I'm like, yep, I, I think I thought I, I thought I had it, but that moment is not coming. I don't know what this is about. I don't know what this is supposed to mean. This is not scary. I hate myself. I hate the world. I want to die. Um, yeah. And then uh, a week later, I, I have something. So, yeah, it, it just take, it's just the process it just takes forever. Have you ever written and performed a story and then listened to it or, or, or finished it up and go, nope, just going to put that away. Just not I don't I don't like that anymore. Yeah, actually, there there are a few that I just personally thought, no, nah, yeah, I really, really kind of botched that all the way through. Uh, but 
I'm trying to be very mature and not let that spoil things, spoil other people's fun. Because, uh, because I'm not, I'm really not the ultimate authority of how good or bad uh, one of the stories is. I, I don't think I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a great judge of it. So I have to, you know, let it, let it sit out there. I'd lo- love to make it disappear, uh, but not going to. I, I remember reading once that. Paul Simon was giving an interview and he was expressing some embarrassment over the sound of his earliest work with like Art Garfunkel. I'm like, dude, you, sure. Yeah. But you have to realize that you're not hearing that the same way other people. Right. Are. You might want, and, and it's a, it's an identity thing. Like, look, that's who you were at the time. That's, that's what you put out. That's, you were passionate about that idea at that moment. Don't, don't corrupt that. Don't go back and re-edit. Don't go back and, and pretend it didn't happen. That's, it's a thing. It's its own little breathing organism and let it, let it, let it be in the world. Yeah. I remember hating when, when Steven Spielberg went back in ET and, and took all the walkies out of the, oh, the agents, yeah. uh, the guns out and put walkie talkies in all their hands. And I was just like, what the, why did who, who wanted him to do that? Yeah. Who, you know what I mean? Who was, I mean, my, yeah, my, my favorite, my uh, example is in fact, the exorcist where the, you know, the director is kind of the exorcist, the version you've never seen. Remember that marketing campaign? And yes, in that yeah. version you've never seen, there is a scene that I thought destroyed the entire reasoning of the exorcist. The, the, the thing that makes the exorcist so scary is that you don't know why this happened. But there's a scene on the staircase between um, Jason Miller and Max von Sydow where they kind of throw out a little theory as to why. Like, no, 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 no. I, just, I think it's just the case yeah. that directors... You know, the years go on, the generations progress, they start to feel less and less relevant. And they're given mm-hmm. a chance to suddenly be talked about again or, you know, going back and correcting their mis- the mistakes they made, not realizing, no, there was no mistake. You're just a different person now. You're right. seeing everything right. through a completely different lens and it's probably not that reliable. So I think my lens, I'm just going to assume that my lens sucks and uh, I'll just kind of be happy with the flaws. You also write books, right? So aren't you, you like like full length novels? Yeah, occasionally, like on a slow Tuesday, I'll I'll knock one of those out. Um, I've got one here. Do you? Fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah, it's. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Town with Town with a Tranquil Night. Right, and then I yeah, I adapted that into a kind of an audio book. Yeah, it's that's true. That was that was the last. Ooh, boy, that was a lot of work. I had forgotten how much work it, it is to write uh, something that length. It's sort of a hodgepodge of Knife Point and your other podcast. Those snowy nights you read to me, they'll never be forgotten. As far away from your one word titles as you could possibly get, clearly. It, that story feels like a bit of a, a kind of a, 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 a put those two things together in a blender. And, and that's kind of what you get. Yeah. Yeah. It was much too big for the Knife Point Hard podcast. So it had to be uh, had to be its own thing. When you guys have spare time, when you're not doing your shows, what uh, what are you watching these days? What are you listening to? Oh wow, that's tough because I'm always complaining about what I call the content crisis, which is that there's there's a million things to watch, and I give everything three minutes and lose interest <laughs> because my attention span has been destroyed. I find myself watching a lot of YouTube videos, frankly. <laughs> uh, so I'm not a I'm not a great watcher of you know I, I'm just losing track of what's of what's out there. Um, 
and I, I think I'm just, I'm getting antsy as I get older, I'm getting antsier, not instead of going the other way around. So, uh, things flit into my consciousness and then they flat out, flat out again. And I realized that another month has gone by. I didn't really watch anything that wasn't already like 30 years old. The best horror movie I've seen recently was actually not a horror movie, but it, it felt like one. It was directed like one. It was the, um, I finally caught up with the HBO miniseries Chernobyl came out mm-hmm. a few years ago. And I was just really impressed by yeah. how dark and foreboding that thing was. I was just really drawn in because you don't see, um, you know, very atmospheric. Uh, I thought, boy, this is like an Ari Aster movie, but it wasn't directed by Ari Aster. What was the last movie you remember really being kind of gobsmacked by where you were like, wow, that I did not see that coming. Well, you know, I watched something like, um, you know, there were a couple of things on, I think it was like Netflix recently, something like the power, power of the dog or the lost daughter these movies. That's like, wow, this is, these are some thinky ass movies. I, I'm, I'm digging this. Or I'll just sit there watching like uh, whatever Terrence Malick serves up and just think, you yeah, know, this is, this is cinema, cinema. <laughs> I'll raise yeah, my fist yeah. to the, um, yeah. So occasionally I will be like, just like, that's, that's just like, I, I'm just surprised and there's uh, a lot to think about. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love, I, I do love that when I, I just, I'm just caught off guard. What about you, Jason? What was the last thing you saw that, that, that shocked you? Cabin in the woods, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, that was, that's a great movie. That's a great, yeah, that that's is a great, great movie. And that movie, whoa, does that yeah. go for it in the end? Damn. Yeah. Cabin in the woods though. It's like, I wonder what works so well in that movie that it takes on sort of the, the tropes of horror, you know, and Scream did that successfully of course but but that like after scream did it so many movies tried to do it and, and didn't do it well and it didn't work but it does work in cabin in the woods i think it's a tough thing to do that kind of wink wink nudge nudge kind of horror and have it still work soren have you ever tried to do that in any of your stories on have you ever tried to sort of be self-aware or knowing in that way or or, or do you uh, think that's no just i'm always not- afraid of of wasting like a really good idea by getting that right. far out and in the end yeah i think the reason a lot of those don't work is because in the end you have to have a good story you could be cutesy all you want but cutesy doesn't really engage very deeply you have to have cutesy wink wink plus something interesting going on and that's where these right. movies kind of collapse yeah. we were talking about the um i don't know if you ever seen it but have you ever seen the movie society the brian yosna film uh, society no, where no, because someone said i have a very i'm very squeamish very squeamish oh are you really oh yeah i cannot take uh much of anything in the realm of gore anymore and someone the way it was described to me I'm like oh okay um maybe i'll just you know <laughs> <sighs> no couldn't do it couldn't do it soren thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us and, oh, and yeah. telling us uh uh you know about about your great show and, and your your sort of giving us a little window into how you come up with these great stories um I've got one last question for you before we let you go here. Uh, as a writer, who are your influences? Who are the writers that you sort of always return to for, for you know, ideas or for for uh, frames of reference? Uh, well, of course, like a lot of people, I, you know, lost a lot of my adolescence to reading Stephen King, who just, uh, you know, I find it difficult to describe how, how good he is in so many so many areas that he doesn't even get credit for. 
but as a kid growing up, I, I just gravitated toward. I remember going to the library and you know checking out the books of you know Victorian ghost stories and um, so stuff from the the fifties and sixties. Very quiet, um, you know, guys like M. R. James and Poe, of course. Lovecraft is always a huge, huge uh, influence. You know, e. F. Benson and um, Algernon Blackwood. Uh, I was just gonna say Blackwood, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. later on, uh, you know, the, the the writer like for instance Joyce Carol Oates, who's actually amazing, a major yeah, horror writer, just so unsettling. So you think Joyce Carol Oates? It's weird how many horror fans aren't that aware of Joyce Carol Oates. It's, I find that so strange. It's well, it's, she's just so prolific that it's just like well, it's just one little slice of what she does. Even though she has written more horror than than I ever have, but you know, her horror is very much about the human mind just going wrong. It's not really supernatural. It's very rarely supernatural. Right. It's just about the, the darkest possible human impulses put on the page. So it's it's not I, – I, I sometimes have trouble recommending her to people because I'm like, oh, man, I'm just, just throwing real darkness at someone by suggesting, yeah, that, oh, it's good stuff. But uh, I think movies were always my biggest my biggest influence in the end with horror, yeah. Do you have anything uh, uh, coming up you can tell us about? Any a, a new knife point or a new story on the way? Anything? Uh... Uh, yeah, currently struggling with uh, with a new knife point story. You know, L- Linda Wadawick out there in Oregon, she does the the Ghosts on This Road podcast, which uh, I'm a part of, and probably a new episode of that coming out. It's a very unusual take on horror that she has. So, uh, yeah, just business as usual at Narnia Core. Thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate it. Yep, no problem. You have been listening to Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane and produced by Cindy McLean. Production editing and sound design provided by Blaine Swanson and One House Studio. Video production and editing generously created by Matt Handy. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Hatton. You're currently listening to supervising producer Jason Hill. For exclusive bonus content, giveaways, and contests, be sure to subscribe to our Patreon account at www.patreon.com forward slash spill your guts. All one word. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by our supporters and listeners like you. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of Kevin's conversations with some of horror culture's titans of terror, as well as the many hours of bonus content, consider subscribing to our channel. But that's not the only way you can support what we do. If you like what you hear and you want more, get the word out to your friends, your family, random people on the street, retail cashiers, unattended babies, the hot guy you work with, on-duty members of law enforcement, anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for the guts and gore of horror. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening.